Tonight I want us to preach on part two of a series that we started last Sunday night, and I've titled it Contrary the One to the Other. I joked last week, this is not a series on Baptist history, amen? This is a series on three sets of brothers that are found in the book of Genesis. The Word of God establishes a principle for us. How many of you know that your King James Bible was written on purpose? It's not on accident. It was written with a distinct purpose. God wrote things in such a way for such a reason. And uh, I'm thankful that we have a God that's so sovereign that He can mold and move the lives of the Old Testament patriarchs in such a way as to teach us spiritual truths. Now, they're not an allegory necessarily. They're not a, a figment. They're not a metaphor. They're not a parable. They are real historical beings, real historical people. But God's so sovereign that He can use them to teach us spiritual truths. And the principle is set forth uh, in these three sets of brothers that the older brother represents that part of us which we have called the natural man. Everybody that's born is born of a natural birth with a natural part of them, a natural man or natural woman. That's the part of us that operates off of that which it sees, that which it feels, that which makes sense to it. Let me say that faith is not an illogical thing, uh, but the logic that is of faith is superlative and is above and elevated above that which is human logic. And so uh, I'm not saying that to be a faithful person or a faith-filled person is to be illogical, but rather that you're operating on a spiritual logic, on a different plane than what human logic would understand and would operate upon. The younger brother of these three sets of brothers always represented the spiritual man. None of these three younger brothers were perfect. In fact, of all three of them, uh, there are certain things we could point to if we chose to, to try to find fault with. Maybe not Abel, but certainly with uh, Jacob and with Isaac. Tonight I want us to preach on the idea that these two brothers represent the spirit and the flesh, the natural man and the new man, the dynamic in which they are contrary one to the other, in our approach to the Lord. Last week we preached on our appeal to the Lord. In other words, how does the natural man seek to be justified in the eyes of God? He seeks to be justified as Cain did through the works of his own hands, the fruits of his own labors. But the spiritual man seeks only to plead the shed blood uh, that he might be justified, that he might be redeemed. It's that spiritual man that communicates with God. In the same way tonight, I want us to look at these two brothers. Now, we're going to be in lots of different passages of Scripture. So you're either going to have to listen real good, or you're going to have to work them thumbs and pages real good. Amen? All right, Genesis chapter number 21 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And the Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. 
And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. Let's read verse 1 once more, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah, and I want you to notice this, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that you've afforded us tonight. Pray that your Son would be lifted up and glorified in the preaching of your Word. Pray that your people's hearts would be opened unto you and surrendered unto you. Lord, we've come to you tonight that we might learn from you, but Lord, we've come to you tonight that we might lean on you, that we might look to you, Father, that you might meet our every need, and Lord, that we might grow closer to you through it. Now, we pray that you convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need encouragement, but do all things in such a way that bring you glory and you alone. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 21, we have a synopsis of Isaac's young life. Abraham, as the Bible calls him, the father of Isaac and of Ishmael. The Bible calls him a Syrian ready to perish. Abraham's entire life was a story of faith. In fact, we spent one time 14 weeks just looking at faith in the life of Abraham. Certainly, if we were to pick one principle, one ideal that would summarize the life of Abraham, it would be this idea of faith. There he was in in paganistic darkness. God speaks to him, tells him to step out in faith, to go to a place that he doesn't know, following a God that he doesn't know, for a city that he's never seen, for a child that he does not have. And God, through his promise, sees Abraham through and meets every promise that he's made to him. And so the progression, and by the way, you'll find if you study through your Bible that there's a lineage and there's a witness. All through the Word of God, that lineage is followed. Me and Brother Jack were talking about uh, Cain and Abel just a few moments before the service. And uh, whenever uh, that Cain slew Abel, Abel was no longer the witness, so Seth became the witness. And all through the Old Testament, you'll find that, there's, that God's always had a witness, somebody that knew Him personally. That's what a witness is, isn't it? A witness isn't just somebody that's heard something. A witness is somebody that's seen something. Witness is somebody that's had an experience, that, that, that knows the truth of it. Doesn't just know the ring of truth, but knows the truth itself. And God has always had a witness. All through the Old Testament, Abraham was that witness. Uh, there in paganistic and heathenistic darkness, God called him out to a walk and a life of faith, and he became that witness. Isaac was to be the witness after him, and Jacob after him, and so on and so forth. But in the life of Abraham, his two children, Ishmael and Isaac, represent for us in many ways the constant struggle between the Spirit and the flesh in how we operate in our day-to-day. How do we approach God and the things of God? 
Can I remind you tonight, and we, we studied through the book of Galatians uh, in, in the last Apollos course, there were two things that the Galatians were, were falling prey to. One of them was the idea of salvation by works. I would say tonight that most of us in Bible-believing churches have pretty good handle that salvation is by grace. Don't you think so? We know that. The first thing was they said you had to be circumcised to be saved. The second thing was you had to keep the Old Testament law to stay saved. Now, here's where it's going to hurt a little bit, so hold on. The idea of sanctification by works is something we still struggle with, even amongst Bible-believing brethren. There's lots of people that know you can't be saved through your good works, but there's lots of people that still believe you can become more saved through your good works. That believe that somehow if you part your hair right, if you dress just right, if you talk just right, if you walk just right, that makes you some kind of a better class of Christian. Now, lest you jump on me, let me say I believe in standards. I believe a Christian ought to look like a Christian. I believe you ought to carry the right Bible. I believe you ought to act the right way and look the right way and live the right way. But can I say that that's not what makes you a Christian? And it doesn't make you more of a Christian. We're sanctified by the Spirit of God and by our surrender to His Spirit. This conflict and this struggle has been going on all throughout humanity, and it still goes on today. In many ways, I almost feel like this is a more applicable sermon than last week's because this really hits home at where we're at. I I feel like so often we preach this morning on Isaiah. Isaiah had spent five chapters as a preacher and as a prophet, but when he stands before the king sitting high and lifted up upon his throne, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I am undone. What was he saying? He was saying, I look back over five chapters of being a preacher and of being a prophet and the very instrument through which I've served God my lips, I see that they are an unclean thing. All that I thought was done, I see it as undone now. Everything that I thought meant something in the scope of eternity, I see that though it was a good thing, it was done in the energy of the flesh, and it's worthless in the eyes of an almighty God. He says, I'm undone. I'm undone. Let me say, it's not just enough to do the right thing. You have to do the right thing in the right spirit and through the right energy. It's not enough to do the right thing in the energy of the flesh. And you know what a lot of us have? We have a lot of sanctified flesh. We'll preach on it here in just a second. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I want us to look at the history of these two boys, and I want us to see this parallel, and I want us to see this conflict. Notice, first off, the conception of the sons. What does the Bible tell us about their births? Well, we read here about Isaac, and we're not going to dwell on it, but I do want to point out verse number 1 and verse number 2 again. I want you to put the emphasis where God puts it. Look what God goes out of His way to say. The Word of God says, And the Lord visited Sarah as He had said. That's number 1. And the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. That's number 2. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. That's number three. Three times in two verses, God goes out of His way to show that Isaac was birthed out of promise. You know, that's really what salvation by grace is. You know, it's salvation by the promise of God. 
That's what salvation is all about. The lost sinner comes to the Lord and he has no reason to believe he can stand on his own two feet. He's not coming trying to offer the filthy rags of his self-righteousness. He's not coming trying to barter over his baptism or over his church membership. But all he's doing is coming to a God that has no human logical reason to save him. Coming to a God that has no earthly reason to love him and saying, I know you shouldn't love me. I know you shouldn't save me. I know I deserve to be in hell. But you made a promise that by two immutable things, what the Hebrew writer said. You say, what are those two immutable things? When he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. He has bound himself eternally by love's strong cord and by the infinite Word that if we'd come to him, he'd save us. When I got saved, I got saved based on the promise of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I grabbed hold of that and I tugged on it pretty good. That's what saved me was the promise of God. And in the same way, we'll find that what starts off in promise stays in promise. And what starts off in flesh stays in flesh. Isaac was a child of promise. There was no reason he should have been there. There was no earthly or human or biological reason that Isaac should have ever been born. Sarah was way past the years to bear a child. In fact, when God said to Sarah, you're going to bear a child, she laughed within herself. God said, what did you laugh for? She said, I didn't laugh. Boy, don't sound, that sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it? said, you laugh. No, I didn't laugh. In fact, she names Isaac, Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter. She says that the Lord hath made me to laugh. It was a different kind of laughter. By the way, it's interesting where she says that down in verse number 6. That's two different words for laughter there. The first word has the idea particularly of laughing out of pleasure, but the second word can denote the idea of laughing out of derision. What she's saying there is she says, God hath made me to laugh out of pleasure so that all that here will laugh with me out of derision. In other words, what she's saying is this. I'm going to laugh and they're going to laugh, but they're going to be laughing for a different reason than I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I know what God's done. They're laughing because they think I'm crazy. Now, tell me that don't sound like the Christian walk sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I remember one time I, 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 I was, somebody was laughing. I said, well, as long as you'll, you know, I, I don't mind to, to be, if you'll just laugh with me. And then I realized I wasn't laughing. Amen. <laughs> they had to be laughing at me. And uh, Sarah kind of says the same thing. She names him Isaac, which means laughter, denoting the fact that God had given her joy within her heart. God, through His promise, had brought something to pass that could not be brought to pass. Let me say that when God saved you, He saved you by His miraculous, supernatural, gracious promise. There was no means for you to save yourself. The only hope that you had was the promise of God. What about Ishmael? Look with me in Genesis chapter 16, just a few pages back. Genesis chapter 16. We've read about the birth of Isaac. There's a lot more we could say about it that we won't take time to. What about the birth of Ishmael? Genesis chapter 16, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. In the same way that Isaac was birthed from the promise of God, we see that Ishmael was birthed from the doubt and failure of humanity. 
The whole reason that Ishmael existed was because Sarah and Abraham wouldn't believe God's promise. So what does that have to do with me, preacher? Well, that's the same thing about your natural man. Adam was created in innocence. In other words, it's not that Adam did not have the capacity. To, you know, you hear people say that sometimes. Well, Adam, you know, he, Adam was, was sinless. He didn't have the capacity to sin. Well, evidently he did. <laughs> Amen? Because he sinned. Adam was born in, in innocence. But the sin nature came when Adam sinned. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Who is that one man? That one man was Adam. And death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. You see, whenever Adam chose to disbelieve what the Lord said, and when Eve chose to disbelieve what the Lord said, humanity was spiraled into depravity. That's the reason you have a sin nature. That's the reason you have a flesh. That's the reason that you have a carnal side. That, that's who and what it is, and that's what it will always be. Let me say that we'll never eradicate the flesh on this side of glory. There's nothing we can do. We can do our best. We can try our hardest. We can join as many churches. We can try to be baptized a thousand times. We can try our very best, and we will never eradicate the flesh. Christ must do that for us. The Bible says Paul gave this promise, said that this vile body shall be changed like unto his glorious body. That's when that's going to happen. Not before then either. Our sinful flesh will always be with us. That which is born in flesh remains in flesh. So we see the conception of the sons. I want you to look with me back in chapter 21. And I want you to look at verse 4. We see the conception of the sons. But I want you to see the consecration of the sons. Now there's something very interesting that happens. And I think it's a place we ought to preach for a moment. Look at verse number 4. The Word of God says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, what does the Bible say about circumcision? In the book of Galatians, the Bible says that circumcision availeth, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. In other words, circumcision has no capacity to spiritually change a person. It's a lot like baptism. Baptism can't change an individual. If they go into the water a dry sinner, they'll come up a wet sinner. Uh, the, the baptismal waters have no capacity to wash away a sinner's unrighteousness. And in the same way, circumcision was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, with the Jews as his earthly people. It mirrored what the Lord would do for us spiritually on the inside in the giving of us uh, the new man. But it could not do in and of itself, just as a physical external practice, it could not sanctify in any way, shape, fashion, and form. It was symbolic and it was an act of obedience that was to be done. God had already commanded Abraham that he was to circumcise everybody in his household. So it's no surprise that Isaac should be circumcised. Circumcision deals with the idea of the putting away of the filth filth of the flesh. And can I just say this? This isn't my message. It isn't even my point. But can I just say this? uh, That the spiritual man always does that which is right. Oh, let me say it again. You missed it. The spiritual man always does that which is right. I don't know who needs this, but we preached on it this morning too, so they came back tonight, whoever it is. The spiritual man always does that which is right. You know what we have in this day that we live in? We have a lot of worldliness dressed up with the name of Christianity parading to be that which is righteous. So how do I know the difference? Well, is it sinful? Is it worldly? 
If you took the Christian brand off of it and slapped a secular brand on it, wouldn't you think of it as something that's ungodly? If that's the case, then it's nothing but branding. If that's the case, then it's nothing but sanctified flesh. If that's the case, it's nothing but a lie and a delusion. And that's what we have in a lot of the day, whether it comes to music or, or clothes standards or whether it comes to worship style, if you want to call it that. I, I don't know about this worship style thing. Amen? I've never known worship to be stylish. Worship is an embarrassment to the flesh, always has been, always will be. And real worship will never be popular in the public arena, ever, 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 ever. Real worship is, a, is an offense to our old man. What, no matter what it might be, there's a number of things people try to dress up and slap the name Christian on it and claim that it's right. How do we know if it's really the right thing? Well, the spiritual man always seeks to do that which is really right. That part of you that communicates with God. In other words, if it, if it interferes with your relationship with God, then it's not right. And if it's right, it won't interfere with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he's circumcised Isaac. But I thought this was interesting. Look in chapter 17. Chapter 17. I want you to notice this. Look down at verse 23. The Bible says, And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. Now, I understand why Abraham did this. Abraham did this because God had commanded him to do it. But isn't it interesting that the very child that's a, that's a son of the flesh, the very child that is an emblem of his doubt and distrust of the promise of God, Abraham goes and tries to slap a Jewish or a covenant practice upon him. Why did he do this? Well, I'd say it's summed up in verse number 18. What does he say? Look at it, chapter 17, verse 18. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. What was Abraham saying when he said that? He wasn't just saying, God, don't kill Ishmael. What he was saying is, God, I want Ishmael to live before you. I want him to walk before you. I want him to be the witness. I want him to be the line through which the Messiah will come. Abraham had high hopes for Ishmael. Boy, you know, that's just like us. Well, we have high hopes for our flesh. And by the way, I'm not just talking about that which is openly sinful. I'm talking about anything that we do through the energy and exercise of self and not through the surrender to the leading of the Spirit of God. I mean, listen, if you really get this, it'll change your life. When you realize that the Christian walk is not accomplished through trying, it's accomplished through surrender. It's not accomplished through self-effort and self-will. It's accomplished through the leading of the Spirit of God. You know the problem is we've mechanized everything about the Christian walk. Now, I'm not, I don't believe God is the author of confusion. I don't believe that God runs a house of chaos. I'm not implying that in any way, shape, fashion, or form. But let me say this. You can go through the motions. You can oil the machine. She can run smoothly. And it's still not do anything in the spiritual realm. Because that's you working. That's not Christ working through you. Only when Christ is working through you can anything be accomplished. He didn't say, for without me you can do most things, or for without me if you organize well enough you can do it, or for without me as long as you try to cross your T's and dot your I's you can do it. He said, for without me you can do nothing. We can go through the business, we can trim a lot of leaves, we can prune a lot of vines, but we'll never see fruit until it's surrendered. 
until it's surrendered. That's the only means. That's the only way. That's not popular and it doesn't sell a lot of books because it's real simple. But that's the truth of the matter. It's only when we wave the, wave the white flag in our life and surrender ourselves to the leading of the Spirit of God. You say, how do I do that, preacher? Let me make it real simple. When He speaks, you listen. When He says, move, you move. When He says, witness, you witness. When He says, get this out of your life, you get it out of your life. And anything less than it is disobedient. Say, you live to that standard? No, not all the time. But by the grace and help of God, I want to. I want to live that way because that's the only way to live and truly live. The Lord, or Abraham, wanted Ishmael to walk before the Lord. He wanted Ishmael to live before the Lord. He wanted Ishmael to be the promised child. He wanted Ishmael. But here's the problem. You can't sanctify that which is inherently evil. It just has to be done away with. That's the reason when you got saved, uh, the Bible says that He nailed your old man to the cross. He took you out of the way. You had to die so that you could be born again because the old man can never be sanctified. He can never be made righteous. We see their uh, consecration. I want you to notice a third thing. Notice their character. Now, turn with me to the book of Galatians. I know that's a long ways, but I think your thumbs have gas enough to get you there. Galatians. I want you to look at chapter number 4 with me. What was the character of these two young men? And we may be kind of plowing some ground we've just plowed, but that's okay. Repetition makes it sink in, and practice makes perfect. Galatians chapter number 4. And I want you, when you get there, I want you to leave a, a, a piece of paper or a thumb or, a, I don't know, something there, your glasses. Take your shoe off, put it there if you need to. But save that spot because we're going to be there a couple times. What does the Bible say about these two sons and about their character? Look with me at verse number 21. The Word of God says, Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, that's important, so we're going to read it again. The one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. So he's talking about Sarah, and he's talking about Hagar. But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman, that's uh, Isaac being born unto Sarah, was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai. Now, what was the one in Mount Sinai? He, uh, the Bible says, he that liveth in the law must do the law, must abide in the law, must obey the law. That was what the law required of its adherents. You've got to obey, you've got to do, you've got to accomplish, you've got to toe the line. Which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now listen, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now, let me do my best to try to make this short and simple and sweet. Some of you are saying that that ship has already sailed. We have two mothers spoken of, a bondmaid and a free woman. That's not what they did. That's what they were. Let me say it again. That's not what they did. That's what they were. Nothing Hagar could do about it. Nothing Sarah could do about it. That's who 
and what they were. They each had a son, Isaac and Ishmael. Just as Ishmael was the product of bondage, all he could ever allow and bring forth was bondage. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me tonight. The law was given because sin abounded. The law was given because of the abundance of the transgression. The law was never given to sanctify. The law was never given to make righteous. The law was given for three chief reasons. One was to show us God's standard. Two was to withhold us from falling or to withhold the Jews from falling into full-on hedonism and heathenism and paganism. And three was to be our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. That was the purpose of the Old Testament law. The Bible says, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's not just New Testament. That's Old Testament. That's every testament. By the works of the flesh shall no, or by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The law was not given for that purpose. It was given only that it might bring folks into bondage. It was given so that it could show man that he could not live up to God's standard. It was given so that it could withhold man from doing that which his carnal and natural heart would choose to do. And it was given to show that Christ was the only means as the fulfiller of the entire letter of the law. That was it. And you say, what does this have to do, preacher, with, any, uh, with me? I'm not under the law. I'm not a Jew. I don't follow the law. But remember that the law was just God's response to man's carnal nature. I won't say it again. I don't know if we... I won't make sure I got it. I'm not saying it for you this time. I'm saying it for me, okay? The law was God's response to man's sin-fallen and carnal nature. The law was given to the Jews. There's no question about that. But do you understand that if it had been us in this day that we live in, God's holy law would have been given and a lot of things would have been the same and a lot of things would have been very similar because in principle they apply. But even if it had been tailor fit to the sins that you might commit, it still would have been law. And it still would have been God wrangling your carnality and your flesh. That's all that it is. That's all that it ever will be. But what a promise. The second is a free woman. In other words, as a free woman, as someone whose freedom is grounded and guaranteed by the promise of her master, as someone whose freedom and and liberty is grounded in who and what she is, just in that same way, Isaac was born a free son and born a son of promise. Their character could never change. Who and what they were could never change. Listen to me, it doesn't matter how well we dress up our filthy, stinking, rotten flesh, it's still flesh. It's still flesh. doesn't matter if we put it in the best suit that we own. doesn't matter if everyone claps when they see it. doesn't matter if the whole world approves of it. It's still flesh. It's still rotten. The reason I'm preaching on this, the reason I'm hammering this, is I'm trying to get you to understand that I'm not preaching about the drunkard out in the gutter. I'm not preaching about the prostitute on the street corner. I'm not preaching about the dope head in some dope house. I'm talking about the sanctified, good-looking, church-going, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible-believing Baptist that's operating in the energy of their own flesh. That's who I'm talking about tonight. Saying it can all look right and all be wrong. Say, so how do you know that, preacher? Because you can have a form of godliness. Say, so what does that mean? It means it looks right. It's what a form of godliness is, isn't it? It looks right, but denying the power thereof. What's the power? The power is the inner working Spirit of God that moves us and molds us and makes us what Christ would have us to be. We see the characters 
of the sons. But I want you to notice uh, third, fourth, fifth, I don't know where we're at, the conflict of the sons. Look what it says in verse number 8 of our text chapter. Verse number 8 of our text chapter in Genesis 21. The Bible says, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Mocking. You say, what's the significance of that, preacher? You find in those few little words, that which began the germ of a seed of that which is boiling over in violence and hatred right now on the other side of the world. There's a conflict that's still going to this day. You can imagine how innocent it would have looked when you had seen this little 13-year-old or 14-year-old boy making sport and making fun and bullying his little brother. No doubt many would have looked at it and said, well, big deal, that's what big brothers do. Well, big deal, that's just the way it is. Oh, but if you could have looked into the future, if you could have seen the rockets fly, if you could have seen the jets soar over, if you could have seen the tanks roll across the desert, you would see the end of this conflict. In the same way, there's a conflict that goes on between the natural man and the spiritual man. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh, they lust one against each other. Well, the book of Galatians says, they're, in fact, that's our text verse, contrary the one to the other. Contrary the one to the other. You know what I find interesting? The older that Isaac got, the worse that it got. You know something you'll find? The longer that you live as a Christian, you'd think this thing gets easier, but it doesn't. It intensifies. The longer you live for Jesus Christ, the stronger you get, the more that you learn to surrender to the leading of the Spirit of God. You'd think that there'd come a day where you'd be able to get up from an altar and say, Whew, glory, I've got it whipped. It's all over now. It's smooth sailing. But let me just serve notice on you tonight, dear friend. There'll never come a time on this side of glory that you'll be able to lay the sword of the Spirit down and drop the shield of righteousness and lay down a shield of faith and drop the breastplate of righteousness. It's a constant battle. It'll always be a battle. Your flesh hates your spirit, and your spirit hates your flesh. And it'll always be that way until the day that you die and are given a new body. There will always be a conflict. Always. There was a conflict between these two young men. And by the way, you know that the only time there was ever any peace was when death happened. Abraham died, and there was peace. Abraham died, and it quieted the sons. That was the only time that there was ever peace. For the most part, their entire lives, they battled one against each other. And it'll be that way with you. The reason you came into the house of God tonight, I hope anyways, I hope you didn't come tonight in the energy of the flesh. I, didn't, I hope you didn't come tonight in the obligation of duty. I hope you didn't come tonight in the show of will worship. I hope you didn't come tonight for the glorification of your flesh in the sight of those that sit around you tonight. I hope that the reason you came tonight is because your flesh uh, nudged you when it was time to get up and said, just sleep a little longer, pull the blanket a little tighter, turn the lights a little darker, and just rest. You deserve it. You've earned it. You, you that, that's owed to you. You've got to work tomorrow. It's going to be tough. You've got to get up. Won't you take tonight and rest a little bit? And I hope that what you said, and I believe the reason you're here tonight is because you said, oh, that's the same lie you told me last week and the week before that and the week before that. But if I'll drag myself out of this bed, if I'll quiet my flesh, if I'll surrender to the Spirit of God, if I'll make my way to the house of God and get myself in a preaching attitude and in a preaching mind, then God can do a work in my heart and glory and flood into my soul and God can do something that you don't want to see happen.
You see, that conflict is raging. It'll always be raging. doesn't matter what it is. Flesh will always tell you what's wrong to do, and the Spirit will always tell you what's right to do. That conflict will never end. Well, let's notice another thing. Look with me at verse number 10. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? This conflict. Well, how did Sarah deal with it? Verse number 10, the Bible says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. We see the casting out of the flesh or the son of the flesh. Now, some of you say, oh, preacher, I thought you just said we'll never get rid of it. Well, have the Jews gotten rid of Ishmael? No, they've not gotten rid of Ishmael. Ishmael went on to live. Ishmael went on to be a great nation. They didn't get rid of him. You know what Sarah said, though? She said, I'll give no place to Ishmael in the presence of my son. Paul said it this way, we're to give none occasion to the flesh. This same truth is echoed in Galatians chapter 4. You may still have your Bible open there where it says in verse number 30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So what can I do, preacher? By the way, listen now. Surrender is not always easy. You ask anybody that's ever lost a fight how easy surrender was. Don't think for one moment that just because it's surrender, it's easy. Sometimes we get the idea when we think about surrender like it's just the throwing up of hands and the giving up and the giving way to the natural pull of things. But let me just remind you that your flesh will never want to surrender to the leading the Spirit of God. It, just because it's surrender, that don't mean it's easy. No doubt it wasn't easy what Abraham had to do. And by the way, it was Abraham's choice. It wasn't Sarah that cast out the bondwoman. It was Abraham that cast out the bondwoman. It was the man of faith that cast out the bondwoman. You know what his feelings must have told him? His feelings must have went to a daddy's heart and tugged on it and said, you can't send that boy out into this wilderness. You can't send him out. He won't survive. You can't live without him, Abraham. You can't live without him. And if you do, then you can't live with yourself. And in the same way your flesh will come to you, and whatever that is that God's dealing with you about, it'll say, you can't send that out of your life. You can't live without it. You can't live without it, and if you do live without it, you won't live with yourself. Tell me I'm not speaking truth tonight. Isn't that exactly what your flesh says to you? You can't live without it. You can't do without it. And if you do without it, you can't live with yourself. You won't be satisfied. You won't be happy. Abraham responded in faith according to the commandment of God. You know what God said? Listen now, ladies. Some of you all ought to say amen on this. And God said, listen to your wife. Isn't that right? God said, listen to your wife. Listen to what Sarah said. Listen to what Sarah said. And so in response, not necessarily to Sarah, but in response to the command of God, Abraham cast out the bondwoman. Only when we determine to not give our flesh any place in our spiritual walk, only when we come to the place where we refuse to give the flesh any place in our marriage, only when we come to the place where we refuse to give the flesh any place in our church, only then will we see the beautiful life that Christ intended for us to live as Christians. Let me tell you something. You'd be amazed what God could do in these four walls if we just get the flesh out of things. You'd be amazed. When I say the flesh, I mean the pride. I mean the self-centeredness. 
say, you're talking about this church? Yeah, I'm talking about this church. I'm talking about this preacher tonight. If we could just get the flesh out of things. If we could just get things centered wholly upon the pierced feet of the blessed Son of God, wholly centered upon His magnificence, wholly centered upon His preeminence, if we get to the place where our pride meant nothing and we threw it out the door, if we get to the place where our popularity meant nothing, if we get to the place where our prestige was nothing but filthy rags, and we just came in and wanted to see Jesus, you'd be amazed what God could do. We're too prideful for that. we got this thing figured out, you know. We got this thing figured out, and in doing so, we've given occasion to the flesh. I'm not saying God's going to make things crazy in His house, but I'm saying God's going to make things awful uncomfortable to the flesh in His house. We see the casting out of the son of the flesh. Notice finally, and I'm just going to touch on this in close. What happened? We see the consequence of the sons. I don't have a text verse for this. If you wanted, you could read chapter 25. And you'd see it. We're going to touch on a couple verses in chapter 25. But, but if you wanted to, you read the whole chapter, you'd see this. But let me just say a word about Ishmael. Ishmael went on to be a great nation. We know that. You can turn on the TV and see that Ishmael is a great nation. Ishmael went on to be one of the most prosperous peoples ever to live. Don't you think so? Next time you go to gas up, ask yourself that question. Ishmael went on to be a prosperous and powerful nation. To this very day, the sphere of global events seems to circle around Islam and the adherents of Mohammedism and the descendants of Ishmael to this very day. But Ishmael missed the messianic promise. You know the main problem with being a Muslim is they're on the way to hell. You say, well, what if somebody gets saved and then converts and blah, blah, blah. Hey, you ask those questions if that makes you feel better. But the truth of the matter is, somebody getting ready to cut off somebody's head, they don't believe in the same God that I do. I make no bones about that. And I'm sick of hearing it called radical Islam. It's not radical Islam. It's practical Islam. Those that, those that are not cutting off people's heads, they're not practicing Muslims. If they were practicing Muslims, they'd be strapping bombs to themselves and they'd be cutting off people's heads. So what you see on the news is not radical Islam, it's practical Islam. That's the expected end of what Islam and Mohammedism brings. Ishmael could only produce that which the flesh could enjoy. He could produce nothing spiritual. He produced kingdoms. He produced wealth. And let me tell you something. Ishmael died and left every bit of it. What about Isaac? Well, look what it says in chapter 25. Just two verses, and I'm going to read them and we'll close. Verse number 5 and 6, chapter 25. I like this. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. Look at verse 5 again. Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Can I I read that? You know I'm not changing my Bible, but can I read it with the ideals interplaced for the people's names? Could I say it this way? And faith gave all that he had unto the spiritual man. Faith provided everything that the spiritual man could want. Abraham drove drove Ishmael out of the presence of Isaac. He went on to marry a woman by the name of Keturah, concubine, had children by her. Oh, but nobody got what Isaac got. And listen, God may bless you some, even though you're operating in the flesh. You may get gifts. You may get a few good things. But nobody gets what Isaac gets.
You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, what did Christ say? What does the book of Romans say? Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. You see, the spiritual man has access to everything. The Bible says that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. Through the spiritual man, we access all the riches and treasures of that which belongs to Christ Jesus. You say, oh, you mean that preacher on TV talking about the new car, the new house. Listen, if that's the best thing you can ask God for, God help you. If you ain't got lost loved ones that mean more to you than a new car, God help you. I'm talking about greater things than some house or some car. God may bless you with those things. That's wonderful. Hope He blesses you with one to give me. Amen? But I'm talking about greater things than that. I'm talking about greater things than that. Only through the operation of the spiritual man, through the sacrificing and crucifying of the flesh and the surrendering of our will and soul to the leading of the Spirit of God, then and only then and that way and only that way can we enter into the promise and inheritance that we have now. Not an inheritance then, but an inheritance that we have now through the death, burial, and glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we've been given all things that belong unto righteousness and godliness. All things that we need to leave this earth to live this spiritual walk and to lead this spiritual life. You know, we spend a lot of times asking God for stuff He'd already give us if we'd just do what we need to do to get to it. Amen? Abraham gave Isaac all that he had. Gave Isaac all that he had. So go ahead and operate in the flesh, and you'll have a lot to show, but that's all it'll be is show. You'll have a lot of things that'll look good. Probably be a lot of church members clap for you. A lot of people smile when they see you coming. Some prestige in the world's eyes. But friend, let me warn you that one day the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things, uh, for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. The Bible says, No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. And upon this foundation every man buildeth. What do we build? Wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. Only through the spiritual man can we build gold, silver, and precious stones. We think sometimes that the wood, hay, and stubble deals with our sin. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. The wood, hay, and stubble deals with that which looks good, but that which has no substance, that which won't stand against the judgment fires of God, that which when a match is struck to it, it may look good on the outside, it may look substantial, it may look like it'll stay, but the Bible says that every man's work shall be tried by fire, and the sort that it is will be made manifest. And we're going to find out who we've been doing it for, and we're going to find out how we've been doing it. Just through a form of godliness or through surrendering to the power of the Spirit of God, His leading and His working. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, as a musician slips to the piano. Heavenly Father, I want you to bless this invitation tonight, and I want you to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that your people would surrender. Oh, that we might quiet the flesh and surrender tonight. I pray that you'd help us. If you've dealt with us, that we might surrender and find ourselves bowed at your pierced feet and surrendered to your blessed will. Lord, we love you. Now teach us through obedience to love you more. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. I want to ask you tonight, is there anybody here that say, Preacher, you know, there were some things that you hit on tonight. 
And God knows what they are, but man, He dealt with me about some things in my life. Maybe you've been doing a good thing, but you've been doing it in the flesh. Maybe you've been doing a bad thing. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord, that He's been arguing with you, fighting with you, fussing with you, wrestling with you about. But you'd say, Preacher, the Lord knows what it is. I just want you to pray for me because God spoke to me tonight. Would you slip your hand up right where you're at? I won't come to you or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you right where you're at. You say, Preacher, the Lord spoke to me tonight. Please pray for me. Slip it up right now where you're at. I see that. Is there anybody else? Say, preacher, pray for me. She begins to play. This altar is open. God's touched your heart. Would you slip out of your seat? Come down and pray. If we're going to get serious about this thing, it only comes through surrender. If we're going to get serious about this thing, it only comes through waving the white flag, through yielding. Oh, that's the only way the victory is won. Do you remember when Joshua had the troops arrayed before Jericho? Oh, they looked good marching out there. Joshua looked like a very stalwart commander upon the hillside. But he looked up upon the hillside and he saw a man standing with sword drawn. Joshua, there before all of his army, he looked at that man. He said, are you for us or are you against us? That man looked at him and said, nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. That was the Lord Jesus Christ standing on that hillside. The Bible calls Him the angel of the Lord. When He said, I'm come as the captain of the host of the Lord, I think He was talking about Joshua's army. What He was saying was this. Joshua said, are you for us or against us? The Lord Jesus Christ said, neither, I'm above you. And this is my army. And only if I lead it will it succeed. Only if I lead it will it win the victory. There upon the hillside, Joshua bowed the knee, surrendered his sword to a greater sword. And he said, all right, Lord, you're going to have to lead this army. That's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about surrender. I'm talking about saying, Lord, I'm going to quit trying. I'm going to let you do it. I'm only going to surrender and just follow your leading. I'm going to quit trying to fix my problems. I'm going to let you fix them. I'm just going to try to obey you and serve you. Lord, I'm going to quit trying to fix my marriage through my energy. I'm just going to try to, to love my wife and obey your word or love my husband and obey your word. And I'm just going to surrender and let you fix this because I can't fix it. I can't do it. But I'm going to surrender to you and let you do it. Only when we surrender can the Lord get the victory.